You're listening to Transform Talks, the podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of the Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Hello, and welcome to a very special edition of Transform Talks. Now, as you know, 2022 was a tumultuous year for the supply chain. Not only did we have to contend with the after effects of COVID, but we also had to navigate the war in Ukraine and the subsequent disruptions it caused to global supply chains. If all that wasn't enough, labor shortages have meant that some supply chains have not been able to operate at full capacity. But it hasn't all been doom and gloom, though. We've seen a number of digital transformation projects completely revolutionize the way we receive our products. Another recurring theme this year has been the increased focus on sustainability, which is, of course, fantastic. Elsewhere, we're seeing the industry make great strides in improving diversity and inclusion. This year on Transform Talks, we covered all of those subjects and so much more. And so we thought, with it being such an action-packed 12 months, that would only be right to end the year by looking back at some of the best moments from 2022. So without further ado, let's get started. Early on in the year, we were joined by Kristen Dias from Mars Wrigley. Kristen and I sat down to discuss the company's implementation of a new digital lighthouse pilot, and there was one comment from that conversation in particular that really stood out to me. I asked Kristen how their new way of working had impacted the company, especially at a senior level, and this was her answer. You know, it's, it's a big journey that we've been on in the organization, and, and we're still in the learning curve. Um, but one of the biggest changes that I've seen is, you know, typically, I would, I think from like a program or project perspective, right, you know, a lot of times people will want to make an ask for something. And then it's right, what resources do I need and just go get it done. Um, but I think in the space that we're embarking on right now, we don't always know what's the art of the possible. So you don't know how to build hard requirements, throw it over the wall and have somebody build it. You know, mm -hmm. we really need to be open in some cases to saying, right, let's make some investments but let's look at how to frame it so that we're making a minimal investment, we're testing and learning early, and we're learning so we create the space to be able to fail fast, in mm -hmm. some cases, to, to stem our losses, if you will, um, but also be open to the possibility that we might get into some discovery areas that help open up completely new possibilities of what we could go build and enable that we would never have thought about early on in our journey. It's just really creating that space for the iteration mm -hmm. um, of the art of the possible, which can make some people, I think, feel threatened. You know, if I don't know what to ask for in the beginning, I don't know what I don't know, and that's not okay as a senior yeah. leader. Um, it's making that be okay and actually um, building out that discovery muscle to say, let's go. Um, identify and explore and get creative on, on what could be and identify and test out some interesting hypotheses. You know, I really loved Kristen's answer to that question. I always felt that building out what she refers to as discovery muscle is really important in any business. After all, it's only by feeding that curiosity that you're able to go above and beyond. 
Now, a recurring topic this year has been that of sustainability. I have been really fortunate enough to speak to a number of people on the show about this, but I have to say that my conversation with Noel Kinder, who is the chief sustainability officer at Nike, was a real standout for me. You see, most of the time when we speak about sustainability, we do so in rather esoteric, theoretical, and hypothetical terms. But what really struck me when speaking with Noel was just how much actual work is going into ensuring that Nike achieves its sustainability targets. Here, Noel provides other supply chain leaders with some great advice on making their sustainability goals a reality. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think you always have to find the intersection of incentive. You have to find where, as a sustainability leader, alongside your colleague who may be the chief supply chain officer, what, what are the things that you want to work on together that serve both of your needs? Um, so one of my colleagues is our chief supply chain officer. And when we kind of started this embedded offense, he and I were talking through, like, okay, how do we start to in- integrate it from a performance management standpoint? And having the backdrop of those commitments externally, those targets that are quantifiable and kind of the deputized organization is a really important foundation. But assuming that you're able to achieve that, then you got to make it real. And so when he and I go to our boss, who's the COO, and, and share where we are month to month in, in operations performance, he will share where we are on cost per unit, where we are on delivery performance, all of the things that are, of course, really important to a supply chain executive. But he also articulates where we are on carbon footprint from inbound and outbound freight, because he knows that that's his organization's contribution to us achieving those targets. So that that's kind of nirvana, that, that you would have a colleague like that embrace that level of accountability and own it as their own. Um, not everybody's at that point of maturity. Obviously, it's taken us a couple decades to get to that point, um, and, and it's hard work for sure. But I think you have to treat it as co-equal with your other operational indicators. If you're committed to lowering your carbon footprint, great. Do the data and analytics that it takes to determine what exactly that requires, what the, the major functions of the company contribute to doing that, and then have those leaders of those areas own their part of it. In the introduction, I made reference to the number of challenges that the supply chain has faced in this year, and yes, whilst those challenges have made it harder to operate, what they have also done is inadvertently given supply chain leaders some much-needed perspective. What I mean by that is that when those challenges first presented themselves, we we all began to clamor for normality. What we've gone on to discover, and what many of my guests have been keen to point out, is that going back to quote-unquote normal isn't necessarily what we should be aiming for. What we should be aiming for instead, as Brian Hatch points out in this next segment, is learning from past mistakes and improving on that normal. While you were talking there, I was thinking to myself that maybe, uh, again, I don't want to minimize the tragedy of COVID and war in Ukraine and you know the things that are going on in the world, which are very, very serious. But if, if we talk about it from our realm, our perspective, right, could this be an opportunity an opportunity to perhaps redesign the supply chain, to rethink maybe antiquated business models, to just shake things up? So, so I'm glad you say that because because that's exactly um, the way I think. And, and a lot of people are saying, well, I wish we could just get back to normal. Well, uh, what, what makes us think normal was, was the best option that we had. And I think what uh, those that don't look at the things that have happened or are happening and learn by it and say, okay, what can we do better going forward? You know, they've really missed the, uh, uh, the message that's, that's been sent during this time. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, the programs and different philosophy we've, we've been using in the business world are, are, you know, 50, 60 years old. And so 
uh, it, it's not a bad idea to take a look at, uh, you know, what really do we need to do going forward? You know, what really is supply chain? Uh, where do we need to focus our efforts? Um, you know, the, uh, the just-in-time philosophy worked great uh, when it came out, but is, is, is that uh, philosophy obsolete now? Do we need to look at a different option? Uh, align ourselves better and integrate ourselves better in the supply chain uh, along the way. Before we move on, if you're thinking to yourself, I would really love to listen back to the full episodes that I'm referring to, then don't worry. We've included all the details to the full episodes in the description. Okay, so this episode is coming out during a time of year when many of you may be receiving holiday gifts or buying holiday gifts. And the chances are that your gifts were most likely bought on Amazon. And if you're anything like me, by which I mean super busy, then they probably arrived via Amazon Prime. Now, I bring this up because a few months ago, I had the opportunity to speak with the man who was partly responsible for growing Prime into what it is today. In this excerpt, Jason Murray explains how Amazon was able to gain a competitive advantage in the early days. Well, I would just phrase it as, I think think that the traditional approach, uh, you know, when I was kind of coming up is you had this, this kind of like IT organization sitting on one side of the fence. And then you had this, this, you know, operations or business organization sitting on the other side of the fence. And, you know, they were kind of throwing requirements and, and, you know, banter back and forth. Right. And I, I think, you know, a lot of what um, Amazon brought into the culture was kind of this respect of data trying to turn everything into a math problem as opposed to these kind of subjective things. And so, you know, obviously not everyone at Amazon was a programmer um, or a data scientist, but there was a, in the culture, there was this healthy respect for automation, use of data to make decisions kind of applied in different facets. Um, And then I think on the, on the other side, the the counterpoint, um, the technology teams, you know, what we saw a lot of the innovation was around was really making them more business focused. So you, you, you started to see this, um, you know, I, I feel like in the 90s, it was largely about how do you make a faster and cheaper chip or, or compiler or some other aspect. And I think what you saw um, at Amazon a lot of, especially early days, and now it's a little more normal. But um, I think what you saw a lot of was how do I apply this technology to these problems, right? And that became kind of this exciting and sexy thing. And, um, you know, I think some of the biggest innovations we had at Amazon just came from the fact that you had technical people that were legitimately interested in solving these, these what you would consider to be traditional and boring problems. You know, like uh, in, the, in the early 2000s, this is stuff that uh, would have been hard to talk about at a cocktail party, but somehow now um, logistics, optimization, data science, ML, use of data to make decisions, it's all kind of come around and become really cool and interesting. And I think that's just a general shift in the technical industry overall. Maybe another way to frame it, which is a little different, but the, the thing that, you know, the, people talk a lot about at Amazon, kind of this relentless focus on the customer, right? And I, I, think, I think that was largely true. And in my opinion, it was one of the really big, unique, identity, you know, unique things about Amazon was how much there was, there was really focus on what the customer wanted, what, what excited them, what made them buy more, what, what made them want to use Amazon over some of these other means. And really comes down to is, is, you know, how committed are you to actually making that happen? And I think when you think about 
the supply chains and these retail processes overall. It's, it's going to be about pulling out what a customer really need in all aspects of the organization, including the technology and data science, right? And, and so when you're building your tech, it's really, it, it should be largely driven from what does the customer want? And I think if you lose sight of that, you, you risk a, the, the, you just, you risk a, a really um, toxic culture in a lot of ways. And finally, just last month, I spoke with Peter Bolsdorf, who is the executive vice president of the Association for Supply Chain Management. During our conversation, Peter shared an interesting anecdote involving sardines. Yes, you heard me right, sardines, and how that relates to today's supply chain. Okay, so while on the surface it may seem somewhat peculiar to tie the two together, I think his message of the supply chain moving as one is really poignant and one that I think all supply chain leaders should keep in mind as we enter the new year. But this idea around the school of fish, right? So if you think about it, I was in Monterey with my wife, Monterey Bay, one of my favorite places on earth. And um, we were in a, a, a Monterey Bay aquarium and there's this big cylinder, cylindrical tank. And you could see the, and at that time it was anchovies, right? So cousin of the sardine. And there was a video clip that, that saw a shark come into a, a school of fish. The school separated, you know, simply by looking to the person or the fish to the left and the right. Shark goes through, they come back together, and then they go on their merry way, you know, limited loss. Think about how that analogy applies to disruption these days. Think about the stress that's on the supply chain today. So to me, the anecdote there was, how do we start to move as one in supply chain, not only within your company, but also between trading partners? And we're not built for that. We're built you know, on a capitalistic, you know, who's going to win, who's going to lose, you carry the inventory, I'm not going to do it. And so I, I think we're battling a lot of forces um, that we're going to have to relearn, you know, as we start to think more like a school of sardines in supply chain. So that's a wrap for 2022. Before I let you go, I want to thank each and every single one of you who listened to the show this year. Your continued support is very much appreciated. Needless to say that we have plans to grow the podcast further in 2023. To keep up to date with the latest developments, be sure to give us a follow on LinkedIn at Transform Talks. Also, if you don't already follow me on LinkedIn, please do so. I'm always keen to connect with supply chain people around the world. You can find me by searching for Maria P. Villablanca. If you're lucky, I may let you in on what the P in my name stands for. In the meantime, I wish you and your loved ones all the best during this holiday period. See you in 2023.